The Republican Party has yet to nominate a woman for the presidential ticket, but during campaign 2000, a woman's name went before the public. New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman was proposed as a ticket-balancing choice for vice president. First noticed in the national scene in 1990 with a surprisingly narrow loss to Senator Bill Bradley, Christine Whitman became three years later the first person in a century to unseat an incumbent governor in New Jersey. Now, in the end, Dick Cheney was picked for the number two spot in 2000. Governor Whitman would, nevertheless, join the new administration as head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Her management of the EPA was complicated by conservative politics. Christine Whitman left the Bush cabinet in 2003. She now works to advance the cause of moderate Republicans. Governor Whitman has written a book about the direction she feels the GOP must take. Its title is, It's My Party Too. We're pleased she's here to speak with us today about it. Governor Christine Todd Whitman, welcome to Radio Parallax. It's a pleasure. Good to be with you. Governor, uh, I was quite amused by your description of your going with your mom to the GOP convention in San Francisco in 1956. You were, you were nine. You had a chance to meet uh, President Eisenhower. I wanted to start by noting for the record that uh, during the floor demonstration in 56, my dad was the K in I Like Ike. <laughs> that's good to know my, that's a good background you, you, probably, you probably were there uh, my, my parents later were what uh, you referred to in the book as Rockefeller Republicans I'd like to give our listeners some background on that term and of an era when liberal Republican was not an oxymoron that's the truth it's when you had Governor Scranton Pennsylvania Governor Rockefeller in New York you had leaders who would reach across the aisle leaders who believed that the most important thing, while they were strong Republicans, they believed that that really they were there and elected in order to serve the public. And if that meant uh, working with Democrats, then that's what they did to get good policy done. Never giving up on the most basic and fundamental of their principles, but understanding that there very rarely were issues where there was only one right answer. And they were willing to work their way through that. Leverett Stahl was there. I mean, the names are are, uh, impressive, and they go back. They're good Republicans, and they were good Republicans. And today, a lot of people don't treat them with much respect. Yeah, I'd like to vouch for your descriptions in the book about the battle for the Republican Party back in 1964. I can still remember that uh, that night of the California primary when Nelson Rockefeller was defeated by Barry Goldwater, which I which I shared your pain uh, in. Uh, <laughs> Can we talk about the efforts of the Goldwater people to seize control of the GOP, which they ultimately did, and some of its consequences, especially regarding this, what was a successful, ultimately, Southern strategy politically? It was really the first time that we can remember seeing a candidate who very definitely took a position that was calculated for purely partisan political advantage on a major issue, this being the Civil Rights Amendment. In the Civil Rights Bill of 1964, Barry Goldwater was no racist. He had integrated his company, his family company's business. He had, he was someone who believed in an open system and, and respected all people. And yet, he voted against that Civil Rights Bill for a very calculated reason of trying to bring in dissident Southern Democrats to the Republican Party. And that sent an enormously strong message to the African American community in the United States of where Republicans were. 
and it's been a message that has resonated ever since, although unfairly, because the civil rights bill would not have passed but for Republicans breaking the Democrat filibuster. Ever since then, we have seen this increasing focus on hardening a base and not being as concerned about reaching for the middle in a general election as making sure that your partisans get out to vote. And when you do that, and both parties do it, the Democrats have as much trouble from the far left as we do from the far right. As you do that, you have to become more partisan, and you have to identify those issues that really get your your voters ginned up, and they tend to be the social issues. They tend to be the most divisive issues. Then we get into the problem of you have elections where people at the end of the day won't talk to one another because they don't like the people from the other side. They don't just think they're wrong. They think they're evil. They don't just disagree. They feel they really have to take them out, and, and that's a dangerous thing for democracy. It's My Party Too is subtitled The Battle for the Heart of the GOP and the Future of America. You were in the Bush cabinet as head of the EPA for over two years. You were uh, dismayed, we read, to fight some losing battles related to global warming, which was and is denied by many in Congress and some in the administration. Can we talk about some of that? Uh, The biggest frustration probably was that, in fact, this administration has a, a better environmental record than anyone would know because everything that was done was done through the prism of what the political base would want, would want to hear, how they'd want to hear it, what they wanted to see. So the good things that involved some progress on the environment were usually not talked about at all because the base didn't, this wasn't a major issue for them and it tended to lead to government regulation, which they absolutely hated. And that hurt, I believe, the president and being able to reach out to moderates in the Republican Party for his reelection. And it hurt us internationally. And when you consider that this president won re-election by the smallest plurality of any incumbent ever returned to office, incumbent president ever returned to office, it shows you that that wasn't a mandate to take the country hard in one direction. And I believe it's also reflective of the fact that the concentration in those four years had been solely on the evangelical community and not on the broader electorate. There's an episode in the book I wanted to, to talk about. Um, you went to Trieste as head of the EPA, met with some G8 representatives, uh, talked about the administration, how it was going to put caps on CO2 emissions, as pledged in the campaign. But under heavy, heavy political pressure, the president reversed his position on that and pretty much left you hanging. Yeah, and it was something that I understood. Uh, the president had called for that cap on carbon, and I had certainly vetted those remarks or that position with the White House before I went over there. And everybody said, fine, they were in accord with that. The problem came when, in getting into office, if you remember back then, California was having the energy crisis. There were blackouts and brownouts. There was real concern that this could happen across the country. Coal is better than 50% of our power source, and people felt that if the president were to come out with a hard cap on carbon at that point in time, it would shift the utilities away from continuing a reliance on coal more toward the importation of foreign oil, which is not something anybody wanted, and more exploration of domestic sites, again, which nobody was particularly anxious to see. And I could understand why it changed. The problem was that in the change, it went further than Chuck Hagel is the one who had actually written a letter to the president uh, asking for a clarification of his position. It went further than even he had anticipated, again, with an eye toward the base and showing the base that the president was strong. Don't misunderstand him. That this was a problem. He apologized to me for it, but uh, I could understand what happened. Well, I was somewhat angered to read uh, how in the wake of all that, Robert Novak blamed you, he said, for falsely oh, yeah. representing oh, yeah. the administration's position. Yeah, he, he did, and it was interesting because I went to Andy Card because he wrote a couple of comments 
a couple of columns that uh, went after me, and I said, look, uh, this isn't helping anybody. And while it was clear that Andy had nothing to do with it, after I'd had that conversation, those columns stopped. There were those within the administration that just weren't happy with this discussion or that uh, the fact that I really did feel that we had issues here that we needed to discuss. Well, we're glad, Governor, given Mr. Novak's record, that at least, thankfully, you were not undercover for the CIA. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, fortunately. (laughs) Governor, you use a descriptive term in your book. I thought it was quite quite evocative. Social fundamentalists. Uh, Can you tell us about who you mean by that and why you'd like to see them reined in? Well, fundamentalists are people for whom there's only one right way to solve a problem. There's only one way to think. The scariest thing for them is choice. And we have people in our party who have devised litmus tests that say, you have got to believe this way, you've got to approach issues this way, if you're going to be a good Republican, if we're not going to come after you and try to take you out in in a primary. No matter how well regarded you are by your constituents in general, if you don't satisfy us as to these particular issues then we're going to come after you. They're the ones who went after Arlen Specter in, in his primary. They're after Joe Schwartz now in Michigan and in his primary. Uh, people who are respected in their districts, but because they don't pass every every single uh, line of the, of the litmus test, are considered suspicious. Well, I, I went to the, uh, the It's My Party 2 website for, for your political action committee, and I was quite amazed by its advisory board. It's a who's who of respected moderates from all over the country. Gerald Ford, Arlen Specter, Bob Dole, Senator Susan Collins, Julie Nixon Eisenhower, former Senator Alan Simpson, uh, former Governor Tommy Thompson, many, many more. Are you getting large numbers of ordinary citizens to join these officials and working to move things toward the center? We've had over 14 million hits on the website. We've had uh, literally thousands of people, more than 10,000 people sign up. We now are in 29 states, and we are starting to see people, when I go out and talk to them, they say, yeah, (laughs) we need this. We want to get back to having civil discourse in this country. We want to get back to having the parties talk about issues that are important to us, not ones that the pollsters tell them poll well. And uh, there's a hunger. And it's coming from both sides. Democrats feel the same thing that's happening in their party. They're very worried and they're very concerned and frustrated. So it's times, and particularly when you think that 2008 will be the first time since 1952 where there hasn't been an incumbent running for office, no president running for re-election, no vice president stepping up. It's the perfect time for the parties each to step back and ascertain who and what they are, where they're going and make some of these really critical decisions about how we're going to lead the country in the future. Because right now, we've got gridlock to a large degree in Washington. We've got elections that uh, pit people against one another in very personal ways that are keeping voters from the polls because they're just saying a pox on both your houses. I don't like what you're talking about or the way you're doing it, and I'm just not going to vote. And those things are all bad for democracy. You, uh, being a moderate, of course, note that the moderates uh, get attacked from both sides. You talk about some battles with conservatives. Uh... In your book, you note that Republican values have traditionally meant fiscal responsibility, minimal government intrusion in our lives, yet we're now seeing trillions of dollars being borrowed and uh, efforts to make people's lives uh, go a certain way are at the forefront. Can we talk about, well, let's start with maybe gay marriage. Marriage is not a federal matter, and yet it's really been used to make political hay. Yeah, that's exactly right. The federal government has never in its history issued a marriage license. I don't understand why this is an issue that the federal government should be taking up, and it would be the only time only the second time in our history where we've passed a a constitutional amendment to restrict individual freedoms. And the the other one was prohibition, and that wasn't terribly successful. So it's, you know, again, this is because 
the way the parties, and both of them do this, the way they focus on elections now is through the prism of the base. And they don't care what that means to the ability to govern over the long run, how divisive it is, as long as you win. That's it's all about winning. And then more and more today, each issue that comes before the, the Congress or even in the states is being looked on as a partisan political issue, that you've got to stay with the party line. There's one place you can be. And while when people elect candidates and they look at whose line they run on, they make certain assumptions about how they're going to approach issues, I don't believe the public thinks that they're electing someone who will always just vote with the party, even if it's not good for his, constitu- his or her constituents. Well, talking of divisive issues, fewer, fewer more notable than, uh, than, than uh, the matter of abortion, uh, you, you're noted for being pro-choice, and m- most Americans, I think, uh, are in that, in that middle uh, of, of Roe v. Wade. What do you think is going to happen in the matter of abortion with new Supreme Court justices, etc.? I, I honestly don't know, because one thing I will say about uh, Sam Alito, and I don't know Judge Roberts as well, I have seen how he is able to, while more conservative than I, quite a bit, he will put aside his personal ideology to judge these issues on the merits of the case presented, and I just don't know what those cases are going to look like. I mean, how those those merits are going to be presented. But I do have a, a confidence that while he does have a, a philosophy that's more conservative than mine, he doesn't have an ideology that's going to predetermine those decisions. So depending on how those cases are argued, it could go either way, and I just don't know. But I do worry about it, obviously. Well, Governor, you're, you're not running for president in 2008, at least at this point. But yes, first time since 1952, there's no, uh, no incumbent president or vice president on the ticket. In the event of a moderate, John McCain, Rudy Giuliani uh, becoming the candidate, would you be willing to join them on the ticket? I don't think that's, a, that's an issue. They gotta, I, don't, I doubt they'd look for that. They'd look for someone more conservative, probably, to balance. But the issue here is that neither one of those men, <laughs> even though they are proven gate vote-getters and respected leaders, Neither one of them could get the Republican nomination right now because they're not pure enough. And that's what impact it really is all about. What I'm trying to do with the PAC and with the website is to change the party so they could honestly consider, honestly consider a John McCain or Rudy Giuliani or, a, you know, Tom Ridge or the governor of Hawaii up there, Linda Lingle, who's uh, very popular. And, and to deny the public the ability to at least consider them simply because they're not perceived as being pure enough on a couple of social issues just makes no sense to me at all. Governor, I, I know we're running out of time. Just wanted to note that on the show you've been preceded by another cabinet member, uh, Peter G. Peterson, talked about uh, his opinions on our, our current spending levels. Of course, uh, fiscal responsibility has been a Republican uh, you know, standard. What do you think about uh, our current borrowing status? I worry about it. I mean, clearly this is an issue for future generations, and we might be all right for now, but uh, this is going to come back to haunt us. And you know, you're not going to, at the federal level, balancing a budget is, is not something that, that is probably going to occur any time in our lifetime. But this idea of pork barrel spending, and I know pork barrel is it's in your definition. One person's pork barrel is another person's essential project. But the ability to add on to spending bills irrelevant items, items that have nothing to do with that particular title of the bill, if it's about environment and you put something on on health care on it. it. It doesn't make any sense, or as on the defense bill when they put the ANWR on it to get that, try to get that through. There's got to be a movement in Congress that restricts that, that does not allow for that kind of thing to happen. If they can't give a president a line item veto, which I believe every governor, or at least the vast majority of governors have, then at least put, police themselves up a little bit so that they can't keep adding these extraneous 
uh, issues and spending projects to to build. Well, my final remark isn't really a question, more of a comment. I just want to note your book doesn't talk a great length about the situation in Iraq, but I did want to applaud uh, your remark that it would have been better, quote, if we'd focused like a laser on completing the job we'd started in Afghanistan before moving on to Iraq. Well, I, I think that's true. And if you look at where the president's popularity was and where the United States standing in the world was after 9-11 and when we went into Afghanistan and where it is today, it's a very, very different picture. Well, Governor, can you give us your website one more time? I know a lot of listeners are going to want to go there. Certainly. It's www.myparty2too.com. Governor Christine Todd Whitman, we hope your reasoned approach to moving the Republican Party back to its roots on fiscal responsibility, civil rights, limited government, and environmental advocacy will prevail. And we want to thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Good to talk to you. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break.